0: This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog2Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Ryan Schmidt. He's the author of the Wristwatch Handbook. Ryan, welcome. Thank you very much, Ariel. We have first had conversations years ago in the form of the comment section on a blog to watch and you wanted to talk a little bit about the evolution of the community and what i want to say is my introduction to the community in terms of my participation with it was in the comment section of a blog to watch you know years ago this was before instagram um, before a lot of things after forums, right? So you know, in the evolution of the wristwatch conversation online at one phase, much of it was happening on forums, which still exist, but are relatively niche right now. And then it moved to blogs in the comment sections. You know tell me tell me what you remember about those days. Yeah, so when when did you start? like 2002, Seven, 2007? Oh, I mean, really? I started as a watch lover around 2001 or so but 2007 is when the website launched did it really wow okay um
1: then i was definitely there from the from the get-go because i i got into watches not too long before that but yeah i yeah the forums have always been and remain a really good source of a, a, a deeper level of interaction um there's some really good technical stuff out there some some lovely love letters to watches and uh, it's a good way to enjoy enjoy things in a more sedentary pace. I think the thing about the comments section, it was pre-social um, media really blowing up, and there was something very live about it. So you were bouncing off of new releases, um, reviews of watches, and it just felt, you know, it was focused, it was specific, You'd, you'd have the article you'd read to the bottom of it and then you'd just start throwing your opinion out there and and, and getting into heated debates and um, it, it, you know it, around about then all websites were starting to open up the comment section and inviting people in and it, it, it I, I think um, I don't know what your stats are these days um, but it certainly seemed like people were adopting, that uh that medium through your website pretty healthily at quite a an early stage so i I was one of those og um commenters and in fact (laughs) uh i think in 2000 and i don't know if it's 2010 maybe maybe 11 uh you, you guys did like a special recognition of your top commenters and i Got a uh, a watch case and a Victorinox with a little engraving on the back saying "Top commenter a blog to watch." <laughs> so that was my that was my little trophy I got back
0: then. My my son still wears the watch. <laughs> you're you're lucky because that was the first and only time we did that specific promotion. I mean, we give watches away every single month, but that one to the top commenters. And you were just lucky enough to be the top commenter, essentially, at the time that we were doing that. So I'm really happy. It's just funny how that works out now, a decade later, you know, we're chatting.
1: Luck has nothing to do with it. It was hard graft. It was daily getting in there, getting into the conversations, getting into the comments. I put blood, sweat,
0: and tears into that. But it was more rewarding (laughs) back then. I think what you said is important to remember for people. Like these were walled communities, the forums – had moderators and rules and they could ban anyone for any reason. And, you know, on websites like a blog to watch and other blogs, you know, comments can be deleted. The social media age, and I think the reason why a lot of people went over to it is that rather than having this sort of like club-like atmosphere where sort of all polite and all abiding by the rules – it was just the the you know the town co- corner free for all. Yeah, you could yell like an idiot with a beer in your hand, and there was no one to say, "Say, sir, uh, please take that outside, not in here." And that's had that's had some pluses, but also a lot of minuses for mm-hmm. the public watch conversation, right? Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, it invites a low common denominator in terms of fairly typical reactive comments to things, um, but at the same time you could get drawn into really fruity debate. And I think, I think you're right on the forums. There's a lot of policing about uh, etiquette and the likes. And I get it because, you know, they're, they're typically managed by collectors who are of a certain age, who want to carry themselves in a certain way and surround themselves by people that have similar tastes. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, a group of men coming together and enjoying a whiskey over in a, in a, in a, beautiful restaurant or something whereas the comment section is more like a bar and you're sort of throwing peanuts at people which i which i enjoy i mean there's a there's a an allure to it i mean the the, the fact of the matter is that i think on, on a lot of websites that have comment section people can't read through the article quick enough to get to the bottom and say, let's see where the action is let's see where where's the debate <laughs>
0: Well, the thing is, you know, and again, I'm processing this right now while we're talking about it, comparing the sort of like, you know, walled community phenomenon to sort of the open debate, anything goes, unless it, you know, really violates major rules, like it's like a call to violence. Right. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I really miss the more polite, congenial one, even though it comes with more restrictions, it kept things more on focus I think I originally knew bad things were coming <clears throat> with the uh, the popularity of YouTube, mm. because before Instagram was a thing at all, YouTube had comments, and it was another place for us to put content. And I always could see that the, the comments on YouTube, like, I guess you could say, they didn't really add value to the conversation. People were just emoting. Mm. They're like, feeling that I have right now <laughs> that I have to say for no better reason than I have a feeling. And it didn't, it wasn't like someone else might be interested in this or I have a legitimate question. It's like, it's things like, what's the price? I'm like, well, if you read, it's right there. You know, no one's hiding these things. That was like actually the common thing in in YouTube. That was the most common question. What's the price? I'm like, if you listen long enough, we say it Mm -hmm. at the end, every single time consistently. And I recognized that the value to the people reading through social media, as it's now known, was far lower Mm. right like if you were going to spend five reading five minutes reading comments on a watch forum versus five minutes reading watch comments on instagram like like ask anyone they'll be like yeah the ones in the forum you're going to learn a lot more like on instagram like good luck if you learn anything in those five minutes maybe you might get lucky but for the most part drama it's a waste of time it's a waste of time yeah so yeah so best case scenario you get comedy but worst case scenario you fall into a den of like feeling insecure and maybe misinformation
1: yeah you know it's interesting because i i wrote the book um and that for me that triggered a departure from the comment section um because i needed to invest my time and energy into putting words into building something and going for you know a book is like the polar opposite isn't it because it's not even a forum it's a it's a singular presentation of information that doesn't offer up really anything um back from people uh, other than them buying it putting reviews down about it um right but it's interesting youtube uh, i i never i never got into it and i i have youtube on my tv on my phone and you look through my uh subscriptions you wouldn't know i was into watches i i do not i do not um uh Take on any watch uh, content through YouTube, and for me, it's kind of like where the blogs and the comment sections were like the tabloids and the and and the the sports bar of the industry. YouTube is like the telenovela, and I'm just not into it. Like, not only are the comments wildly dramatic and fiery, but the content is typically. That way as well. And it seems to be people that maybe lack the depth of understanding themselves. So instead they just make sort of inflammatory comments and they get into little spats with other YouTubers and they have really like clickbaity titles that never really go in in any depth to where you think they will when you click them. It's all very disappointing. And I, I often see people oh have you heard about this guy and that guy and it's always coming down to stuff that really has nothing to do with horology uh so that's just a big turn off for me so y- YouTube
0: it's become it's become a soap opera it's become it's like with with cars there's car shows that have nothing to do with cars but right. it's like if you're a guy and you like cars maybe you'll like the weird banter between these <laughs> dudes who once in a while bring up cars and I see the value in it I mean A lot of internet media is having vicarious friendships. You don't have these fun conversations with your buddies, but maybe if you listen to a podcast of, you know, one or more people chatting about a topic, you kind of feel like you're in on it. It was Mm. the reason why morning radio worked so well for years and years and years, and um, podcasts and sort of internet. uh, A lot of media has taken that over, but the problem is, it's similar to like what you said. Like listening to a couple of people at a bar, it might be entertaining. But if your interest is educational or to to be informed, to read a review, to get some type of practical information, the internet is a a precarious place because it's just not that available. But, I mean, a blog to watch continues to try to be that. We've always tried to blend entertainment and information, but ultimately trying to educate you. But there's not a lot of profit incentive for a lot of places to do that, definitely not for the social media platform. (laughs) That is just it. That's it in a
1: nutshell. That is the point it's I think watch enthusiasts in 2007 a huge majority of them were watch geeks and by that you know we're talking about people who are on an academic journey to understand how things work, what makes something better objectively than something else and you know today maybe that number of watch geeks has grown a little bit. But the market and the broader population of new watch enthusiasts has dramatically overshadowed that small population. And I think that the majority of today's watch enthusiasts aren't particularly bothered about the academic journey. They're um, maybe more driven by, they're attracted to those, those frills that are put onto the content these days, the lifestyle piece um that's certainly what the profit line uh, and and the sort of market driven approach is is suggesting isn't it I mean you look at the way certain other blogs you know I think Hoinki's a really classic example have transformed themselves from really a place where people can pen very deep ruminations on the industry or on a watch uh, you know explorations of niche references. Um, Now it's sort of more about cashmere and vintage cars and famous people um, uh, sitting in front of a camera.
0: I want you to answer a difficult question, and I'm gonna sort of spend some time asking the question, which I hope you'll think about the answer. And this is, I think, very important for this conversation. The context is what it's like to become a relatively new watch lover these days and go on the internet and try to explore your hobby. And I want you to try to think a little bit about how to describe that to people at watch brands or just to anyone else listening to this. And some context I want to offer to listeners is okay. It's, it's practically 2023, and doesn't matter what your age is. You're just learning that watches are a thing. You're becoming interested in it. You You're curious. Maybe you've never had a nice watch. Maybe you've had a few and you realize there's a bigger world out there. In any event... You know that you're going to go to the internet in order to learn a little bit about your hobby, and you're going to use the tools that you know how to use, social media and Google and stuff like that, to uh, start to figure things out. So, okay, so there's a lot of people every single day around the world, hopefully a lot, who begin in this phase, and then they – if they're into it, they mature into to watch lovers. And we know, for example, that by sort of year three or four, if you still like into watches, you're like you're definitely going to read a blog to watch. But there's a, there's a lot of other entrances now. So here's the, here's the thing. Explain some context. Put yourself in the shoes of that individual. What does it look like to you online? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you being told? What is, what, what is easy to find? What is hard to find? Offer a nice, thorough description of what it's like to be a starting-out watch lover today. Wow. That, that's really difficult, because I am a, I know, I know. I'm a
1: haggard veteran now, I feel. You know, a good 15 years
0: into it. Um, but you wrote the handbook for novices, yeah. <laughs> so you know what they're thinking, and you see them every day. So I know it's not you. I know it's it's not me either. But I, I think it's really important, because of your specific position, to articulate, at least from your perspective, what's that like? Because industry, like, you know, veterans and things like that cannot possibly imagine what it's like because they've been in it for so long. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I I think that you're going to see some different pathways. You're going to see the pathway of sort of collecting for money-making, you know, um, highly prized assets, that sort of thing. You're going to see passion as well, and and really really strong opinion, and then you're also going to have an almost limitless pool of incredibly complex engineering that is there for you to learn if if you're interested, and I think that's a tough that's a tough choice that people go down because they're often starting off just saying, I'd like to get a half decent watch. What do you recommend? And depending on who you ask depending on what path they're on, you're going to get a radically different answer. So, you know, if you if you engage with the the guys who are driven by, um, you know, financial value, there's, you know, three or four brands, there's three or four models within those brands. And I'm sorry to say, but the bad news is 90% of those you're not going to get even if you have the cash in a briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> so, um you're you, you're you're faced with this sort of really frustrating barrier to entry, um, and and an obsession with a very small population of um, f- somewhat unremarkable watches. I mean, they're remarkable in some some aspects, but when when you sort of think, is that is this really it? This is a twenty thousand pound watch, or um, is this the thing that just sold at auction for this amount? It's it's pretty head scratching. And then on the passion side of things. I mean, if you're lucky, you're going to engage with people that are positively passionate, and you're and that's going to you're going to feed off of that. But unfortunately, if you're going through social media rather than face to face, you're probably going to get the other side of that, which is, "Hi guys, I'm thinking of picking up this watch. I've read up a little bit about it, and I like the look of it." And then you're just going to get absolutely destroyed because you've selected um, the wrong brand uh, or a particularly less than popular model um and then you've the ro- the wrong brand according to who I think it's an important thing to say yeah the wrong brand according to mr opinion mr passion you know the, the 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 person who has got very strong opinions about and I think it's typically driven by assumptions about the clientele um and 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 assumptions or proven assumptions about The underlying quality of the watch. So maybe it's a brand that pitches itself as being in house when it's not. Maybe it's a brand that associates itself with some heritage that's not really, it's really kind of tenuous. Maybe it's a brand that has become far too popular with, you know, rappers and everyone's talking about it in the mainstream and that's kind of annoying to them because it's blown it up um, out of proportion. Or maybe it's just a sort of, you know, popular to dislike kind of brand, but um, I've seen a lot of interactions online with with people that that come in just really wide eyed, and you just see them get brutalized sometimes um, for liking the wrong liking the wrong watch. Um, and then there's the third path, which is the sort of more academic one, and I think you know forums would be a good place for that, books are a good place for that and physical get togethers are a good place for that because all the a lot of the ego and the vitriol and the toxicity does evaporate when you're face to face with people so I, I would say that there's a there, there's there's in in many ways there's more content well there is more ca- content today than ever but it's 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 thinned out in terms of the the depth of it and and some of it is just not worth wading in um uh, you know i think the sooner you can connect with people um, physically to talk about watches, even just going into boutiques. That's always something that that's, that was a very important journey for me. And my understanding of watches was breaking the barrier of getting into boutiques and actually physically handling watches and meeting people who owned watches as well through get togethers and things like that. Um, the quality of engagement and that, that, that and the way that fed my own enthusiasm was, was huge.
0: You know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot on this show and in general is how the difference between sort of like growing up a watch lover today and when I did it and when you did it, we were able to become watch enthusiasts in a vacuum of our own opinion. Mm -hmm. There was no one there to offer their opinion. Maybe we learned it later on, but we, we, became interested in watches by seeing them, by forming our own opinions. We could discard what we didn't like. We could like what we liked without any type of social feedback. And today that's different. You just can't really seem to do that because if you're going to go online, you're inevitably going to see the comments. You're inevitably going to see this and that. You can't just see something and be completely ignorant as to how popular or unpopular it is. And that's really what it comes down to is Mm. popularity. Every single person has things that they like which are unpopular and things that they like which are popular. So everyone's going to have something they like that by definition is going to irritate other people because it's unpopular. Every single person. It's just a matter of if you actually see that item and it's made for you and whatever. And we have this phenomenon where people get upset online if something isn't made for them and they don't seem to understand the rudeness and immorality, really, of attacking someone else's taste. And again, there's no police, there's no no one that trains you on how to be polite. It doesn't happen in person, but there is a a crude aggressiveness um, to online conversations because everyone tends to feel that they're at home, having a conversation with themselves. Uh, they don't necessarily understand the emotional ramifications of their things. So it's it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a cesspool for those who are the uninitiated. And what I've always said, and I continue to say, is if you want to participate in online chats about watches, that's great. Wait till you're a little bit more confident and mature in your taste. Wait a couple of years before you do it. Because I think while, you know, reading articles on a blog to watch and other content to learn about new watches and to get an idea of how an enthusiast talks about them is very useful. But to sit there and like wade in the community of potentially jaded people that have been <laughs> buying watches for twenty years, like why would you do that to yourself?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. So why don't we just take a couple of minutes to turn off the comments and make a confession what i'm interested to know what unpopular preferences do you have in the watch world at the moment that if you were if you know if you were going in as a as a noob so to speak you'd get shot down for
0: oh well i've always liked weird stuff which is futuristic i like crazy designs um there's a lot of people who are deathly afraid of wearing anything new. That's why we have so much of a focus on classicism because the design is improving. Mm. You already know what people are going to say about it. It's safe because when you see someone, maybe they're not going to be like, "Oh, you have one of those," but they'll be like, "Okay, I, I understand that. That's cool." I'm thinking about a watch that I reviewed recently from a company called Wilbur, which is like, you know, just extremely futuristic trying as hard as possible to be original while fitting some type of a theme. Mm. And I know for a fact that most people are going to not like it just because it's new. If it's around for 10 years, the same people are like, okay, well, it's been around that long, so I guess it's okay. And we have this phenomenon. So I am very open-minded to new things. And because I'm a small percentage of people that's able to do that without any issue – those frequently get attacked. Now, I mm. know what I know. I know you know how a dial is supposed to be legible. I know how a case is supposed to be comfortable. And I can objectively look at an object and say this is a good or a bad watch, irrespective of the physical design and aesthetics. I can be like, this does its job as a watch well. Mm. And so anytime I like a watch, that's the first thing for me. I won't wear a watch that doesn't do that. So if someone doesn't like the taste, I don't care. But I know through confidence that I can defend that as being a good watch. Yeah. Whereas I don't think most people, especially novices, could do that. No, you've had years of training to, to both
1: thicken your skin and give you the ability to articulate a defensive position, but probably you more than most people.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's really about being able to defend yourself. I mean, I have a legal training. And so my ability to go into comments and respond... I think is going to be more advanced than most people just by virtue of my training. Uh, For example, I know how not to escalate a situation. Um, I try to de-escalate. I try to relate to the person. Um, I try to defend my position through evidence as opposed to sort of aggression. Mm -hmm. Like, There's a lot of argumentation strategy that I have learned through my education that I don't always remember is not something that most people have had. Most people these days, especially because of social media and how fast they have to type, don't even understand grammar. I mean, I have younger people who come to me and they admit they're like, "We suck at it. We don't know what we're doing. like we we're just we're terrible at it. and And I come, you know, before I ever commented about watches, with some communication training. And when it was more of a forum and a closed community, that is something that was a little bit more possible because it was a more elite group. Now that watch love has become more democratized, Anyone's there and you have to interact with both, you know, mature, educated, polite people and others that might genuinely like watches and might genuinely be able to afford expensive watches, but don't have that social training uh, or discipline or, or even feel like it's important. And that can be very jarring. And sometimes I wonder if this was like a real event, like we were in a club and you had all these different like watch lovers from around the world. Like, what would that place look like? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I, I, for me, when when I find myself getting sucked into that
1: sort of thing, which I don't, I don't really uh, these days. I try and remind myself that I'm probably older than them. Uh, some 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 people who are getting into watches now are incredibly young, which is cool, which is great. And and sometimes you just have to to kind of consider that. And then also just to consider that, you know, some people are pretty new and, and they're on a journey. And I, and if I was to be held to account for some of the positions I held, uh, back in the early two thousands on watches or, or some of the early opinions that I was forming for myself, you know, uh, I'd be in, <laughs> I'd probably attack myself right now. So I think that helps. It helps to try and be a little bit humble when you're, Engaging with people just to appreciate that, you know, just because they're coming in hot uh, or don't appear to don't appear to have that depth of understanding, you know, they 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 may they may be very early on in
0: their journey. Do, do you think I seem like old and out of touch for advocating for politeness? Like, am I am I being silly? Are people laughing and be like, oh, that guy's telling us to be nice, or is that actually what people should do? I have no idea how out of I, touch I am. Really. I
1: think. Two, I think, two people half our age having this conversation. It, w- I don't think they'd be talking about this. I don't think they'd be considering the etiquette and or, or, the, or the, you know, the decline of um, good watch engagement.
0: Yeah. So I think I think we're showing our age. But yeah. but it's etiquette anywhere. It's just it's you know I like watching. I know this is weird, but I like watching uh, British parliamentary proceedings. Like I just like watch I know (laughs) it's silly. Do you watch question time on a Wednesday? I I I have before, but I'll I'll go on the BBC or other media sometime and I'll just I like watching it. I mean, especially when Boris was there. It was it's fun to watch him speak, right? And I think that institutions like that are interesting to watch because if you grew up with it, it's a place where people are forced to have a polite-ish conversation, even when they have strong opinions about things. And so you need to be exposed. To those types of environments, so that you can apply it yourself, and maybe I'm just wondering if because we live in a relatively impolite world, maybe that's what young people are obviously exposed to and being influenced by. They just don't know any better. Yeah, I mean the parallel to politics is a really
1: interesting one because actually the traditional well the the political model of the like early 20th century, mid 20th century, leading into the 21st century. Has been incredible. You know, it's been about engaging in a very structured, um, you you know, disciplined way. Even if even if what you're arguing for is quite radical, um, there's obviously outliers to that. Um, uh, you don't need to be a history professor to know that. But what's what's really interesting is politics in the new in this new age. It's you can see it flirting with the very subject matter that we're talking about, which is people's attraction to inflammatory um, kind of clickbait style of, of politics. And, you know, you, then you get these older people uh, or seasoned political veterans like us who in the watch world who are looking at it and going what the hell you know no one's actually talking about the issues anymore no Mm. one's voting in the party based on their mandate there's nobody nobody knows what their key policies are they're just arguing over two or three of the most heated and binary positions so
0: well okay so let's 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 back up here i think what's what will summarize the watch conversation more or less echoes the larger social mood, and I've actually written articles about this where there isn't like this separate sphere of watch enthusiasm. Mm. People's strategy and how they speak and their mood in the watch community is directly uh, reflected by what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, and I've noticed that for doing this for 15 years now. I've totally seen this. Um, at first it was like, what's going on a blog to watch And I realized like, oh wait, people are uh, pissed off about this or that or generally frustrated. So people bring um, their baggage into their hobby. That's for sure. Um, but also I think more importantly is there's a lack of authority figures, real authority figures, both in the larger online conversation that the whole point of the internet is to decentralize power. So I understand that, but again, there's a vacuum of authority and in the watch space, again, because social media, uh, isn't beholden to watch interests, um, there's no clear-cut person in charge, and that's what I've right. seen a lot, um, especially in these watch communities where there's like these little groups, the, the red bars of the world. Most of them turn into a fight for power. The local leader uh, you know, isn't really elected. They just sort of elect themselves, and then other people think they could do it better. There's so much power struggle that goes on in the watch industry, in the world, in politics, that it's just... It's normal for people right now to just challenge it all the time. And in the watch space, you know there's the people who have power that have earned it through a lot of like discipline and learning and, and, and study. But then there's a lot of I guess you'll call them posers and these are common online. Uh, there's also collectors who try to pose as being more accomplished than they are. And this has one been it's not it's not surprising because it happens everywhere, but it's the more amusing thing for me is these watch authority figure posers often who have a commercial interest because they want their authority to lend credibility to them selling watches. But it's not just that. And this is sort of a strange thing in this field. These these posers, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um
1: it's You're laughing, why? Well no, it's just an it, 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 I, I i i can relate to it. I mean it's um I, I myself have uh, memories of getting into really heated discussions and you know like frantically googling to just make sure that i've got my facts straight or even googling to try and find facts to support the argument that i've just committed myself to because of (laughs) how upset i just got and uh and then and funnily enough after after i did the book I, I use my book now for that sometimes which I find which really makes me laugh is when I refer to my own book sometimes to try and remember a fact that to to, to, to get back into a conversation with someone um, and that's the other thing about the online thing is you can kind of you know one guy's having the argument with you while he's on the toilet um, or, or driving a car and the other guy's sitting there with a you know, three tabs open on on google just like getting all the stats together but you're right the the watch uh industry as a whole and definitely watch enthusiasm it's ungoverned and 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 it it does lack that leadership the leadership now is the the loudest voices and the ones who've cornered markets you know and it's uh I don't necessarily have a vision of what it should look like, but I definitely feel a little bit dissatisfied with where we are.
0: Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch, and I've been using eBay to find watches for over 20 years. eBay is one of the world's largest marketplaces for timepieces. A luxury wristwatch is sold on eBay every seven seconds. And did you know there isn't any safer place to get watches? All luxury watches sold on the platform are covered by the industry's most robust customer protection policies. What makes eBay so confident is its exclusive authenticity guarantee service, which has a third party physically check each watch before it gets to you. In the United States, that's done through Stolen Company in Ohio, and among other things, it means that fakes are never an issue. eBay is also a great place to sell your watches, but you probably already knew that. Do what I do and check eBay before all of your next watch purchases. So explore that a little bit more. I mean, I think it's important because you and I, we have have wishes for the community. We have agendas, Not, not in a nefarious way, but being involved for this as long as we have, we want things to move into a certain direction. And I know that we don't necessarily have control over this, but how, if it were up to you, would the community conversation online evolve? What direction would it move in? Where would it continue to go? And maybe what might end or stop? I don't know. Because it, if I could dictate
1: why people are getting into watches and and what they should be doing, what they should be enjoying about it, then I can very easily put together a framework that will cr- create a utopia. The problem is when I start thinking about what we need uh, – again, I, I think I represent a small subset of this population now. And, you know, d- does does the guy who wants to be recognized as being successful based on something that's very, very, um, uh, you know, a very visual um, kind of trophy watch care a- 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 about any of this? Does he need a leader? Not at all. I mean, so... I I can think about some ways that I think the watch community would be enriched and it would benefit the wider watch community as well. Because if even if you're a poser uh, or even if you're a, like a flipper, you still want your information to be reliable. You still want to be able to rely on credible intelligence. And I think that's what is shrinking um uh, uh, in terms of watch content
0: that's available um this is such a good segue for my for my comment go (laughs) go on then Go. no i don't want to i don't want to cut you off if you're not done i mean you're talking about utopia here
1: yeah well you know as with as with utopia if you don't interrupt me i'll probably just keep going and
0: hopefully utopia (laughs) is you know perpetual that's what we want persistent utopia Yeah. I mean, look, I've I've had a lot of time to think about this, and I think I'll start. I'll start with what's at stake, because you're right. Like you're like, well, people don't need a leader, and you're right. Ultimately, they don't. But what's at stake here? As I said earlier, when you enter the hobby today, you sort of are uh, met with a minefield. Like you could go in the right direction, but you could easily step on things which hurt you. What do I mean by hurt you? You could be turned off from the hobby. You could end mm-hmm. up spending money in a way that just makes you unhappy by buying something that someone else recommends or someone else tells you you have to get. Or you might not buy a watch you otherwise would have had because you know a couple of you know, uh, people just don't happen to like the design. And so your, your enjoyment in the hobby could be greatly diminished uh, and hindered by being influenced by the wrong source. And that's mm-hmm. bad for business. That's bad for the industry. So it's bad as a hobbyist, but it's also really bad for the watch industry. And so how do you solve all this? And, and I think that there's never going to be a time in the in the sort of information economy as it is right now online where you're going to be able to do that. A blog to watch, for example, um, is is advertiser driven. yet we have a policy where we do content for the audience. That's, that requires discipline. That goes against the grain. It goes against what the, what the advertisers want. It goes against what's easy. Um, it requires companies to have certain values and to really, really diligently stick to them, which is not most of watch media. So the, the economy of information online does not make it such that it, the information should be useful to the reader. In fact, it should be as actually as least useful as possible. It should inflame. It should capture their attention. It should It should tease them. But it should never actually satisfy them because, again, it goes against... The current information economics right now. How do you how do you change that? Well, there's actually a very simple answer, and and for some reason people are very resistant to it, but it's actually not that big of a deal. If people pay for their watch media, if they subscribe or become members to something, that media company thus becomes beholden to their their paying subscribers. It's a much more direct source of income than sort of the ambiguous. Advertising it comes in different waves. You don't know how much it's going to be, and you don't really know mm-hmm. what makes advertisers happy. But when you have, you know, a uh, hundred thousand paying subscribers, they don't have to spend a lot of money um, on your content. You essentially know who you're working for, and you know that it's in your best interest to produce good content for them, so that they keep saying, you know what, this was valuable to me, and I'll I'll pay again next month. And it's hard to get yeah. them to sign up. It was never easy with magazine subscriptions. Remember what magazines. Used to freaking do to get subscribers, like it was insane. Right. It's not going to be any easier online, and I think, and anyways, I think that's the solution. I think the future is people are going to spend, I don't know, maybe up to a hundred dollars a month on, on on a selection of watch media that they like, and it'll represent their values. And that watch media will go and you know buy those watches and actually review them, uh, or if they're very expensive ones, like actually get the time to look at it, but it not being influenced by the advertiser because they know their money comes from somewhere else. Please
1: comment. Yeah, I I I think that's a really interesting that's a really interesting concept. I mean, on the one hand, the idea of offering a subscription based source of content is a really hard one because there's there's a sense that it's already there, it's going to be elsewhere for free, so I'll just move along and I'll go to the next place. But here's the thing: the the more you get into this, the more you realize how samey uh, and not necessarily not 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 in a, not in a good way um, the 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 content is. And like you're saying, it looks like
0: clones of one another. It's all re- we used to call it regurgitated press releases.
1: Well, it's ex- that's exactly what I was about to say. So wh- when one of the things that triggered my desire to write a book was I started to get really frustrated with how that was clearly happening. It it was copy-paste with maybe a little bit added. But like for example, if there was an error in a press release, you'd see it across everywhere because nobody's scrutinizing the press release. No one's asking detailed questions. No one's asking to engage with a watchmaker before, you know, to get a bit more insight before they publish a really nice article. They just need to pump it out and move on. And so, yes... There are 50 places where you can get the same press release republished. True, and if so, if you're going to try and make that a subscriber model, you're in trouble. You have to offer more, and and that's one of the things that frustrates me the most. And and I think that if I have hope for the the industry, it's it's that we're going to move away from. The, the buzz of things moving online, becoming much easier to digest, the quality of the look and feel of the content um, being really slick, and actually that quality of the content now becoming under scrutiny. Like, th- when, when s- 10 years ago, there were more places where you could get more objective, uh, more detailed scrutiny of new releases um of of existing watches you know uh insights into the industry etc um because of that uh, advertiser driven commercial interest and i think because they're going after that larger market of people who don't care about watches that much but they're kind of thinking about getting one or they're more interested in listening to ed Sheeran. and talk about anything than actually you know, understand the watches that he owns. So they're here for him, you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that if you can create, if you can start bringing that content back and saying, okay, well, you can get your celebrity, you know, views um, and lifestyle angle over there. You can get your copy paste press releases over there. But here we're going to do things uh, a little bit differently, and if it was me who was doing it, I would be saying, "Right, we're going to have a, uh, we're going to have a, almost a scientific approach to certain, to, to the way we go about certain things, because that's something that the industry is deeply lacking." You know, consider considering this is an industry about timepieces, about engineered mechanical machines designed to capture increments of time. We have an incredibly un- we have become more and more unscientific in the way that we um, glorify watches, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and, and a lot of the, the there were some magazines that used to do like timing tests and things, and they would you know put watches through the motions, but it's less and less of that. You get you get bodies like GPHG, and you know they could be they could be something like that but they've gone down the direction of being more like the Oscars except it's worse because way worse come on the oscars that's that's so mean to the Oscars it is mean to the Oscars and the, and as a
0: movie buff the Oscars is a joke to me but, but i agree it's still mean gphg but here's the is thing the, the, the movies that win and you look at it like in the Oscars for example nobody just just votes for everything they vote for what they know and if you look at the nominees and you look watch the movies they might not represent all the good ones, but they're objectively good, and the, the, the categories make sense. My one of my main issues with GPH is the, the categories, categories themselves don't make are sense. Are a
1: joke? It's absolute madness. <laughs> the, the, like, and that's the thing. If you create categories like that, you're just screwed. The, you, you can just throw everything out the window. You know, um, the, 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 there's no reason why you couldn't have much more objective, defined categories that would then lead to much more objective, defined criteria that would make the winners much more clearly identifiable. And and it's also the nominations and the, the, the submitted entries. It's such a weird corner of the industry. Like, there's some, like, ex-
0: I'll, I'll, some I'll say of right the now emissions again. are so loud. The reason a blog to watch does not cover GPHG is very simple. We don't believe it has any value to the consumer. Whether or not a watch wins does not really offer representation on whether or not it's worth buying or not. It's a popularity contest from the way the watches are nominated to the sort of incentives behind it all. It's just one giant popularity contest where essentially the industry is rewarding itself. And that's great and fun for the industry. And I support them to feel good. But I'm not going to report it on it as though that somehow has meaning to the consumer.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's an early Christmas party for the industry.
0: Yeah. Okay, so... Let's talk about your book a little bit, because I think it's important to talk about why you wrote it and what you were trying to do with it. And I also think it's important to discuss how that ties into the other part of the conversation, which is this journey for novice watch lovers trying to get information, trying to set people out. And Mm. you said, you know, you said something earlier about, you know, do people really want to know this or really want to know that in the sort of are they just trying to be entertained and listen to Ed Sheeran talk about you know whatever? And I think that for the first watch pur- purchase, you might be right that people just have a limited capacity. But by the time people buy multiple watches, or if they're ever going to buy multiple watches, it's going to be be because they have a genuine fascination with the topic and really do want those more qualitative conversations. So I would say that if you mm. if your goal, watch industry, is just to sell one watch, okay, don't focus on it too much. But if you if you want to allow for there to be a real community out mm. there, what watch media does is it creates a, a focal point for those communities to, to all gather, but it also creates that community, it educates them, it guides them along their collecting journey, it teaches them about new watches, it makes it helps them make decisions and also tells them about opportunities to go to an event and see the watches or know when there's a promotion or hear about new brands that are just coming around. So watch media has, especially strong watch media, if it's supported well, has so much value to the industry. And it's just so funny to me that a lot of the people, in the marketing departments have such narrow, short-term views on marketing and, and and the role of it that just it watch media has to sort of um, scramble for existence and it always has. And it's, it's just it's silly because again, a strong watch media uh, part of the industry just helps the entire industry in a big way. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think modern day marketing, especially
1: for the big, you, you know, for the conglomerate-owned uh, Maisons, it, it, it looks more like it should be they should be selling perfume than 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 a watch. So it's, I certainly don't get any confidence that they're trying to build long-term. Passionate commitment to a brand or to the hobby. I think that I think you're right. I think they're driven by, you know, we're going to launch this product. We need to sell this product. Um, we need to pay back the investment on this product, and we need to get a bonus. You know, it's a it's a it's a business. Um, and by the way, uh, I don't like his music, but I I do like Ed Sheeran. I wasn't being rude, and his collection of watches is really good. So I will say that. He's he's got a great. I, I'm
0: I'm I, I'm, I, I like his. He approaches the production of music in in the way that someone appreciates appreciates fine machinery would. He, he it's for him it's it's a tool. He's making a tool. It's meant to do something. He's putting elements into it. So I like him as sort of a designer to create something commercial. And I think that's why he appreciates watches in the right way. You know what I mean? And and I think that yeah that makes sense. Okay, so so talk more about the book. Yeah, so so where do I start? So I
1: was absorbing information about watches out of just a hunger to, I definitely chose the route of academic pursuit. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't seek to buy a watch that, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to get the kind of watch that I thought would be associated with, um, conspicuous wealth or success. Um, So that wasn't why I was there. I I got into watches um, because I'd stopped wearing them for a long time and I decided I needed one. And and I realized through the purchasing process that I knew very little. Um, And I think the thing that really triggered it was trying to understand why that Aquaracer was so much more just because it said automatic on the dial. And then this one was cheaper. Oh, I'll get the cheaper one. And oh, it's got a ticking seconds hand. And literally, I was that 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 was like my ground zero of appreciation of watches. And after that purchase, I kept on. I just kept on going. I I I wanted to understand a bit more, and I wanted to. For me, it was always about why is that one so much more expensive? And what the hell is that? You know, and as you physically go about shopping for watches, that's an easy thing to do because you're sort of drawn to them. And then you say, Oh my gosh, that's got like a whole extra zero next ne- to it. Why? And all oh, it's because it's got this complication and that complication. And I suddenly realized this is a, this is a, this is a rabbit hole. And I decided I'm just, I'm going to go into it. And I, I, would go into boutiques and I would buy magazines and I would collect catalogs and, um, and I, and then, and then eventually the blog started kicking off and I'd jump onto those as well. And I was traveling a lot as well in my job, a hell of a lot. So I was in an airport every month, a couple times and in different cities in the world. And it became the kind of the thing that I used to do. Like my boss at the time Um, his thing was going to the Hard Rock Cafe. It didn't matter what country he was in. He wanted to go to the Hard Rock Cafe and get one of their little teddy bears. And that was his thing. And I'm laughing at him, but in in some respects, this is just as stupid. Mine was going to watch boutiques. And, and, you know, uh, and so I, I was it was just feeding my passion. I was getting more and more into it. And suddenly I was, just like with cars, suddenly I've got this understanding of and passion for, for things that are now way out of my um, price reach. And that actually was an important stage for me because at, at an early stage, I separated out my inability to own every watch I wanted uh, and, and, I, and I didn't treat my financial situation as a wall that I had to I'll uh, focus my understanding and appreciation of watches within those walls. I I wanted to go right to the extremes and find out everything that they were capable of, you know. So I was drawn to the really expensive ones, drawn to the really complicated ones. And then naturally, you want to understand how they work. Um, And that's where things get interesting. Because if you want to understand how they work, well, then you're going to start to struggle. You know, that's when I started realizing damn, you know, 80% of the places I'm getting my information from just simply aren't going into enough detail. There's definitely some people out there and there would, you know, there's plenty of really intelligent people. And there are a lot of people that still to this day are writing really, really great articles. Um, but it, it it's not as frequent and as uh, available as you would well, hope. The, brand, oh. the brands
0: don't tell you half the time. You have to figure it out well, for yourself. They don't. I mean, they certainly don't.
1: Because that's they're written by guys who just joined the company two years ago and have a, an, M, an MBA. They don't know how watches work. The watchmakers are kept in a vacuum, um, you know. And if they're lucky, they, they might they, they probably don't even have a say in the development of the product that they've had to make the watch for. I mean, that's why I mean, the indies are doing so well now because that's
0: where the watchmaker <laughs> is speaking. Some of the um, most, you know, sinister stories in the watch industry are mechanical ones, but you know, this doesn't work or this is actually this cheap to make or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, this isn't new at all or to make this happen, you know, all, and these are you, you have to be sort of like a gearhead to understand why these are scandalous. The main main consumer might not care, but you know, you know in an industry where so much is about extremely tiny, esoteric detail. I mean, finishing is a great example. To get a Mm. finishing on a particular surface is not just a matter of buying the right machine. It's a technique uh, which requires development over time. Sometimes machinery is used, sometimes a hand or a combination of both. It's a a practice that you need to form internally. You can never copy it. And Mm. the finishing of a watch is a big part of how it looks, People buy watches based upon finishing and things like that. But again, the culture around good finishing is, you know, it's very, very deep and nuanced. But to talk about it um, in an intelligent way requires just knowing so much. And so there's a lot of this sort of inherent nerdery. And I want to go to something else you said, which was important, about these ultra-expensive watches that you can't afford. And this is where I think things get really muddy and it's important to have a distinction. It's okay to be into watches you can't afford because you're intellectually happy that they exist, you want to know what they do, and you'd love to see and play with play with one one time. And that's where I think the industry is really failing right now, especially when it comes to access, because there's these legions of people out there who are nerds and want to appreciate it and talk about it, and the brands just scoff. They're like, uh, these are not buyers. But the thing is, like those people <laughs> yeah. get the enthusiasm out there and then the people who are buyers are like, oh, wow, a lot of these people that know what they're talking about enter this, I guess they can't afford it. But you know what? I can. And that's how, you know, uh, a lot of famous car companies began their popularity. Like Ferrari didn't begin by being attractive to a bunch of like rich people trying to show off status. It was like if you knew about car racing, you're like, wow, that's a really fast, cool car. I would freaking love to own one someday. It's my dream car. Let me talk to you about why it is. And then someone who can't afford it is like, oh, I guess that's what I should buy. But it, it had to start with the sort of lay person being excited about it, having that dream. And I feel with a lot of expensive watches, there's still too much of this exclusive environment around it, this sort of walled community of like, you can't come in here unless you're among the elite, which I, again I feel that that fundamentally robs so much of this industry of uh, the popularity you could have you know what I mean yeah I I, I agree I think that the
1: industry it's the, the watch brands themselves are are probably the worst um, proponent of that closed door uh, I know that they're changing some of them are some of the some of them are learning that they need to um, but but the majority of them are still really, really poor. There, there are a good number. Again, the independents are a good example, but it's not just them. And and there are some independents that are that are not good at this. But um, there are there are some brands now that that are really embracing that. Listen, if you're passionate about this, then you you're welcome here, and we want you here because they see the value of even if. You're not going to ever buy one of our watches. You're going to be constantly talking about it. Maybe, you'll, maybe your children will buy a watch. Maybe you will eventually buy a watch. But again, you in your example, you may find yourself talking to someone and telling them about how much you love it. And they go, oh, I'll have a look at that. I can afford that. I'll get that. Um but again, it's that long termism isn't it? And, and that's completely come out of the model of running a watch business, that long termism because it's like well why serve the broader industry and why serve the PL of uh, uh, that you're not going to be you know you're not going to be working for the company by the time that starts kicking in? So um, yeah, the, the, you know what, what's what's needed for the industry is, unfortunately probably not going to come from the brands which is which is why i put so much criticism on the broader community and the 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 content providers because i feel like that's their that that should be them stepping in but actually you know not seeing a really fantastic job so i was traveling everywhere and learning about watches and i and i reached i started to reach a point where you know i i had and by the way, your blog was particularly good for giving me a breadth. Like you were always really good at introducing the 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 out there watches. And there are some watches in my book that brands that don't exist anymore, and that genuinely did something uh, of of merit. You know, uh, objectively did something of merit that com- made a complication that has never been done before, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, you know, very, very few places covered them. Uh, your your blog definitely helped give me a broader, like, repository of of brands as well. So I got to a point where I'd been doing it for like 10 years. And I could, like, recognize a watch from anywhere, you know, like on TV. And I, I was sort of spotting them everywhere when I was traveling and I started to re- then really push on the technical side, and at that point I started to disappear into the forums, and um, I'd started to buy uh, like technical watch watchmaking books, like the I had I got Theory of Virology, which is I think the worst uh, recommended textbook, um, and I got George uh, Daniels. Uh, the uh, watchmaking and forced myself to read it cover to cover. Very accessible like stuff, a,
0: everyone. Very accessible yeah,
1: stuff. <laughs> I, that, that,
0: honestly, there
1: are some chapters in there that I was <laughs> deeply, deeply into, and then others I was like, oh my goodness. Like when they're going into like pitch ratios, and you're like, okay, do I really need to read this? Because I'm probably not going to hand make a tour beyond, but I'm going to just keep. I, I felt like it would be a dishonor. To mr daniels if i skipped a chapter so i went all the way through it and then i got to the end and i was like okay so i know how watches work i've got a really broad understanding of different brands and their depth of their portfolio uh i i've got i've got a good sense of the variety of complications uh that exist and I'm reaching a point now where I'm getting less and less satisfied by the content that I'm absorbing. And I just suddenly had this idea, well, I I feel like maybe I should now switch, you know, instead of absorbing, I should now switch to pouring it out and I'm going to write a book. And I had, the, you know, it was one of those like middle of the night things where you think it's an amazing idea. But I was convinced that when you wake up on in the cold light of day and simply Google watchbooks, you're suddenly going to realize that it's too late. Everyone's done it, you know. Um, and but but I, I, I started doing some research and I went into libraries and was getting books and I was buying more watchbooks. And I realized that the, the majority of watchbooks um, occupy a very specific sort of niche um you know maybe they're historical focused on um collecting a certain category or they're they real homages to a particular brand um maybe they're a coffee table book that's about beautiful imagery but that's really more or less it and the thing i had in my head which was to give It was to convey how watches work through layman's language as much as possible to try and replicate my own journey of teaching myself how watches work. I'm not a watchmaker, um, but I figured it all out and I got there eventually and I did it in a really organic way. I didn't go through, so so a dry textbook wasn't something that I wanted to create. It was like, I want people to come out on the other side with 80% of that knowledge but also to have some beautiful pictures. And importantly, I wanted my book to cover the whole shooting match. So I basically like how do watches work and what are the, what are all the things that they're capable of doing. Um, so I realized there was nothing like that quite uh, quite like that out there and I started to write it and I put together a proposal and I contacted 64 agents with my proposal 64 was that
0: a copy and paste job
1: it was a pretty brutal copy and paste uh job and i got i i got a lot of copy paste responses uh from them in fact it was hilarious even like a year after publishing the book i would still get the occasional rejection email from from an agent which which i (laughs) I, <laughs> it made me laugh because originally it was uh, it was hurting my feelings, and then afterwards it was just like too late, guys. <laughs> it's done. But do you know what's funny is I so I'm a, I was a first-time author. No, I was working at Christie's at the time, but I wasn't a watch uh, specialist. I was I was an auditor. So you know I I was a long shot. I knew that, but I thought I had a, I had a really good proposal, and I figured, look, this 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 should work. Um, but nothing was really coming from it and I then started to trawl through the publishers themselves and 90% of publishers are really brutal and just say we will burn any mail that comes to us from unsolicited authors so it's a kind of that's the barrier to writing a book it's you need an agent then you need a publisher but there were a couple of publishers that didn't explicitly say hey prospective authors leave us alone one of them was a publisher that had um, built its foundations on photography, fashion, and jewelry. And I sent them uh, my my proposal, and before I know it, I'm getting direct response from a publisher without even an agent. And he had just... Um, they had just started to experiment with watchbooks, and they had just published a book by a, an author who had a watch blog whose name was Ariel Adams and that's (laughs) that's where you and I are we are we are watchbook brothers because we we actually belong to the same publishing family yeah and that publisher ACC art books was like we figured we'd have a go at it and we were kind of surprised at how popular it was and we're thinking about you know doing more watchbooks but we don't want it to cannibalize off of the few watchbooks that we've already made and your proposal seems kind of different to that so we're interested so before i knew it i was negotiating with a publisher without any representation so i had to do a little bit of googling uh to 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 <laughs> prepare
0: you made myself. it you made it that was that was that was fantastic ryan <laughs> yeah. we are we are out of time everyone you can we're just plug where people can purchase the book
1: well, I think it's. I think it's. You know, it's still in decent watch stores that. are uh, sorry, bookstores that have got watch books in them. But okay. Amazon is an obvious one as well. It's uh, definitely available in Amazon. It's also. Um, it's just been reprinted in um, German and French as well. Uh, but the the good old English version is still available and it's still selling well. It's still relevant. Um, there's definitely a small handful of watches since i published it um that i'd like to push into it if i could re-edit it but um
0: it's uh yeah it's available in all good bookstores fantastic and yeah similar to um with my book the world's most expensive watches it's available in a bunch of different languages so it's really great um that uh, Anti-Collector's Club Publishing uh, does that. Ryan, this was a great chat. Obviously, we have more things to talk about, um, but only a limited amount of time to do them in each episode. Um, I hope you'll come back, but everyone, uh, my guest has been Mr. Ryan Schmidt, author of The Wristwatch Handbook. Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel, I'd love to come back as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at a blogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit a blogtowatch.com.